Hey, it's Kathy. I'm so excited because, drumroll please, doors are officially open to my program, The Abundance Method. I have been wanting to put this program out in the world for two and a half years. I've been working on it behind the scenes, and this is my signature program. This is the program that is going to teach you the method, the framework for how to become a master manifester in your life. Why is that? Because everything is vibration. We live in a world that is atomic. That means the world is made of atoms, which is energy. 99.9% of every atom is energy and less than 1% particle. So in order for us to manifest in our life, we need to become the highest vibe possible and to sustain that. This program is going to show you how to meditate and how to set your day on the right track so that you have a practice that can help you project your amazing energy into the world, which will bend the 3D, which will help you manifest in ways that you won't even believe. This is a transformative live 10-week program. It is designed to help you on this journey of spiritual awakening. It's going to give you tons of tools. I'm going to show you how to change your energy, master the manifestation once and for all, This is the first program of its kind. We're actually trademarking all of this framework because it is something that is so unique. And I think you're going to be so excited about learning it. Also, there are some bonuses right now. If you sign up, you're going to get an exclusive podcast so that you can be listening to this program. If you can't make the live Zoom calls, we can give it to you on a track so that you can be listening to it like you do a podcast. Also, you're going to get a pack of 10 meditations from me. And you're going to be getting a training that I just gave a workshop called Permission to be Rich, one of the best workshops I've ever done, which you will love. And there is a platinum level to this program. If you choose the platinum level, not only do you get extra coaching calls with me, you also get extra mentor support, but this is really cool. You also get a retreat included. My retreats are normally $3,000. You will get the retreat for free included. Plus, you will get a front row seat at that retreat because you will be on the platinum VIP track at the retreat. All of this is here for you. I'd love to see you in this program. I want to see you tapping in, turning on to that electricity within you so that you can find your way to the life that you were born to manifest for yourself. You can join us now at kathyheller.com slash join. I cannot wait. Get on in there. See what all the excitement is about. It's going to be so much fun. I think when you feel driven to do something and you don't always know all of the answers, but you're willing to put in the work and figure it out, you just have to keep going. If you're a creative person, if you're a baker, a dancer, a photographer, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and you want to figure out how to make a living doing what you love, this is the show. This is the show don't keep your day job. My name is Kathy Heller and I'm a singer-songwriter. I make a living doing what I love and I want that for you. This is the show that's going to help you do that and give you not only inspiration, but some real life strategies. This is going to help you figure out how to take your creative passion and turn it into a profit. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. Thank you so much for those iTunes reviews. You have no idea what it means to me at the end of a long day working and being with my three kids. And I sit down and I see what you guys are writing. And I feel so happy that this is serving a purpose, that this is valuable to you. Thank you so much for letting us know that. And I want to give you something back. I want to continue to provide as many resources as I can to really help you move this forward. So go to the Facebook page because I posted a link and I'm going to raffle off eight one-on-one sessions with me. We're going to meet one-on-one 
and we're going to talk online via video conference call. We're going to talk about what do you really want to do and what's in the way and what are the hurdles and how can I help you troubleshoot that so you can leave that one-on-one session with some real tangible steps that are specific to what you want to do. So go to the Facebook page and sign up for the raffle and I will look forward to meeting with eight of you one-on-one and I can't wait. The other day I was driving and I was listening to Pandora and the song from Wicked, Defying Gravity, came on. And I started thinking about all of you and all the people who've been writing to me and the stories that they're telling me and how they're feeling inspired. And I know how everybody wants to get out there and start doing the thing they really always wanted to do. And I was listening to the lyrics of the song. And, you know, the song starts out and she says, something has changed within me. Something is not the same. And I was thinking about all of you and all the people who've been writing to me. And I I know that feeling. I know that feeling when something finally speaks to you and you remember what you're capable of and you remember how much you want something and you decide that you're not going to continue to tolerate living a life that you don't feel so excited about and you're not going to tolerate not going for the thing that scares you the most that you really want. And there's that great line and she says, I'm through accepting limits because someone says they're so. I was like, that's it. You know, like we get to this place where we're like, I'm done. I'm not going to accept this. I'm not going to accept this insecurity or this limitation that I keep putting on myself. I'm going to remember that I can do this. And the evidence is there, you guys. There are people making a living doing what they love. And you can do that too. So I just want to continue to support you and cheer for you and give you every possible resource to keep going and do what it is you want to do. Life is way too short to not wake up excited and feeling like you're giving something to the world. For those of you who are listening, let's talk right now about what steps you can take. I want to talk about this in a little more detail because I know for a lot of you, you're saying that you're getting inspired and that's fantastic. But when you're inspired, it's about taking action. Inspiration without action is not going to amount to much. So what can you do when you're inspired? Let's talk about that. I want to talk about a couple things today. We, we talk about honing your craft. We talk about working on your craft. Here's one way that you're going to be able to work on that craft with more ease. You know, one of the reasons people dread doing that work, and like Greg Mandel said on the last podcast talking about his bakery, he said people complain about doing the work they want to do. And there's a couple of reasons why. One of the reasons is because when people go to do that work, whether they're working in the kitchen and they're working on a new recipe or they're sitting down to write a song or they're working on their sculpting, when there's a critical part of you that shows up every time you work on that craft, you start to avoid it. It's not something that becomes fun. When I was first starting out as a songwriter, I used to sit down to write a song. And at the same time, while I was writing, I would be editing myself as if I had this idea that I was going to sit down on with a blank page. And by the end of the 30 minutes, the song would be there in its complete final form in the, in the proper syntax and with all the rhymes. And they would just come out of the pen in the moment perfectly as if they were going to wind up that way. And that's really unfair. When I was a kid and there were things that I loved doing, the reason I loved doing them is because I was just playing. I was giving myself the space to be free and to just enjoy and to discover and see what would happen and be messy. I want you to get in the habit of carving out time just to be creative. And you can go back the next day with fresh eyes and look at what you did. And maybe there'll be one valuable sentence or one valuable thing you you discovered in your craft, whether it's cooking or sewing or sculpting or baking or songwriting. You'll find that there's things that were beautiful that you can you can choose from what it is that you did. 
And by the end of the week, maybe there's three different things, or maybe there's one thing, but that's really valuable. You have to give yourself the time to just be creative. And editing and being creative are different parts of your brain. When when a director goes to shoot a movie, they might shoot the movie for three months, and the director might decide to get every possible shot they might need just to see, just to see a different take, have the actor stand in a different way, put a different lighting on it. And then while they might have shot the film for three months, they might edit the film for eight months or nine months or 10 months or longer. And they'll sort through all the footage they had. And then they'll choose the best of it. They'll choose the best moments, but they'll allow themselves the time when they're shooting the movie to be as creative as possible because they won't know in the end what they're really going to love, what's really going to work the most to serve the story. I want you to get in the habit of letting yourself be creative and play and be messy and you don't have to be perfect. And when you have the habit of not needing to be perfect, you're going to enjoy doing the craft more. You're going to let yourself explore things and you might discover something amazing because you allowed yourself that space. All right, so Maggie Kiley's here. She's a director. She did a movie with Jesse Eisenberg called Some Boys Don't Leave. She just recently did this show on Fox called Scream Queens. She has a great story and I love seeing women in the directing field doing film and television. So I'm so happy you're here, Maggie. How are you? Hi, Kathy. I'm well. Nice to see you. <laughs> nice to see you too. Um, you've really done it. You you came out here and you had a passion and a dream and you built that. Take us back to where this started. When you were a kid, did you just pick up a camera and shoot movies with your friends in the neighborhood? Um, you know, it's funny. I actually never grew up wanting to be a director. I started acting when I was really young. My sister put me on the patio in our backyard when I was eight, and we did a production of Annie in the backyard. Um, and 200 of our neighbors came and sat what? in lawn chairs. 200? Yeah, and we, we sent the money into charity. But that, That's, that, okay, that alone is amazing. <laughs> That's where you started, eight year old. Oh, yeah, we just filled the backyard with 200 people and then sent the money to charity. Yeah, it was a That's very amazing. wonderful uh, beginning of knowing that I wanted to be creative and wanted to tell stories. So I actually came up as an actress. I, you know, grew up in upstate New York. I went down to New York to study acting, couldn't wait to live in the city, and went to NYU to study acting and really had a wonderful time coming up as a young actor in New York, which is another Don't Keep Your Day Job podcast, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, But I think what for me was happening was that I was preparing for this other chapter in my life, and I knew that I wanted to be out there making a difference. I just didn't fully realize what it was I wanted. So when I moved to LA, it was first as an actor, having done guest stars and commercials and and little things and was still really trying to make it. Um, And you were working with the Atlantic Theater Company, correct? And you teach there? Yes. So I, when I studied at NYU, I was really fortunate in one of these quick decisions you make when you're a freshman and you have to decide which track you're going down. I chose Atlantic because I had done a David Mamet play when I was in high school. So I recognized his name. (laughs) And that was such a, for me, landing at Atlantic was so meant to be that community of storytellers and the way they approach the work really resonated with me then. Um, I came up there. I understudied plays there. They brought me into the company. Um, and I, yeah, I worked there too. I assisted the artistic director. I planned the benefits. You know, I did a lot of jobs that weren't acting. 
But when I first came to Los Angeles, I was still sort of teaching, and someone I had taught in New York asked me to direct a short film for her. She felt like I worked well with actors, and I honestly thought she was insane. I thought, I've never directed, I've never wanted to direct. I've been on sets, I've been directed, I know what it's like from an actor's perspective, but I don't think I have that brain. So in preparation for that tiny short, I, I bought Filmmaking for Dummies, which is embarrassing. <laughs> but I did. <laughs> it was a really good only, book, though. It is. I it's a good me. book, but I... <laughs> That's yeah. where you were at. Right? That's where I was. Yeah. I mean, I really... I knew I could get a performance. I knew I could talk to this actress, but I didn't didn't know anything about framing up a shot, or I, I didn't own a camera. Right, right. I don't even think I had a laptop at that point. I was really just... Right an actor. But on that set, I felt like an entire part of my brain woke up that had been waiting to kind of come alive. So you felt that click. You felt that feeling in your intuition, like, wow, maybe it's really been all for this. Yeah, I just felt so excited. I mean, not that I didn't love being an actor, but I always felt like I was waiting for something else to happen or like I was in someone else's story when I was on set for the first time as the director, I thought, oh, this is this is Annie in the backyard. This is me bringing what I see to this story and using all of these people around me, you know, to, to bring this up. Wow, that's so cool. You, you're there from the seed of the idea, you know, whether you write the script or you develop the script, you know, you're you're growing it from this tiny, tiny space. And then you're starting to bring in layers. You know, you bring in your production designer, you have your casting director, you're having conversations about actors. You know, you're looking at art as references, you're listening to music, yeah. you know, you're just, it's like every corner of my it's brain so creative. is coming around. There's nothing around passive this. about it. Yeah. It's all you. Yeah. And it feels, it doesn't feel you know, super singular either. It feels really collaborative. I mean, I've always loved my relationships with my DPs and I lean, have always leaned harder on them maybe than other departments because I didn't know a lot about certain lenses and certain gear. Now I'm much more confident. And and I think learning what I liked and how I like to move the camera and how I like to frame things and being able now to sit in meetings and have people see my style or get a sense of what the kind of visual language that I like to use, that that to me is just exciting. And then the next question was, how do I get to do this again? Yeah. And I had a friend, actually, my friend Sean Hader, who's a fantastic filmmaker, whose film Tallulah just came out last year with Allison Janney and Ellen wow. Page. She, they're so good. She, yeah, yes, I know the song. Wonderful. Yeah. She uh, had done a program at AFI, the American Film Institute, which was a specific directing program for women. And she saw the short. And we had similar backgrounds. We both acted in New York. And she said, you have to apply to AFI. And I had a three-year-old at the yeah. time. And I said, what? I can't go to college. Like, I already went to college. I went to NYU for acting. I can't, I can't. And she said, no, it's it's not a full, full program. It's a small program. And it's specifically designed to bring more women behind the camera. So I went on the website and I read about it. 
And I, first of all, was shocked at the statistics. I had no idea that the statistics had been, you know, well under 10% since the 70s and hadn't changed at what, all. What, under 10% is female directors? Female directors wow. of, of film and television. Yeah. And that the number hadn't changed since the 70s when, when like, nothing, not and 15%, Penny not 20%. ahead of her time. Yeah. So, so I ap- applied for that program not knowing how we would ever do it, you know, not knowing how to not work and pursue a career when I had been working in this other field for so long. Um, but I did. I got in, and that's where I made the Jesse. I had done a play with Jesse in New York at Atlantic. So I said, will you be in this weird short I'm going to make where a guy st- lays on the floor the whole time? Little do you time. know, Jesse Eisenberg will, two years after that, become the leading right. actor. Well, I mean, he was already he he was such a wonderful. He had done Squid in the Whale, Squid in the Whale, and he, which I love. Yeah, me too. Great, great he was so young in that. But Facebook came out when a couple of years. So he went to shoot Social Network right after my my short Facebook. That's okay, (laughs) Social Network, right? And he did Zombieland right before. So, but he's you know he's Jesse. He was so good an actor. Yeah, it was a great great experience. Did you write Some Boys Don't Leave also? I co- ended up co-writing it, but the initial original idea, Matthew Mullen had written it as sort of an exercise to see, you know, could he write a script from the point of view of lying on the floor? What happens after that? You finish filming that? Well, I, I don't want to say I was lucky, but that film, I worked really hard on that film. There were things that you do something in AFI called boot camp where you have to do like a trial you know, film or, or, you know, a day shooting a couple scenes and then they, you know, evaluate you. And my boot camp was horrible. I had, I I got really not good feedback um, because one of the main things I was confused about was whose story it was. You know, there's a certain way you use the camera to help you understand I'm experiencing this from Kathy's point of view, you know. So interesting. So I didn't really know that, but I left and I, worked really hard to figure out how to do that better. So by the time I got to making my movie, it turned out really well. I have to sideline and say that along the way, I've been really fortunate to have some wonderful mentors. And I had uh, b- both Bill Macy and Felicity Huffman, who are part of the Atlantic wow. Theater Company, contributed to my short. You know, you have to raise all the money for your short. And m- Bill wrote me a note that said, you know, Go make your movie, then make a big fat movie with us. And I put it up on my, you know, I just got vision board. That's amazing. <laughs> but I had that on my vision board, so I knew that I had support, that people believed in me, that right. that I had to keep going. I had to figure out how to make a bigger movie. And I have have another mentor who was one of my teachers at AFI, Brian Udovich, who's a producer. And I, I was writing in his office some of the time trying to get stuff done. And I said, I don't know. I mean, I feel good. I met here. I met here. I met right, here. Right. And he said, who cares? You need to t- commit now and say that you're going to be on set directing your first feature in 2011 or whatever it was. And I left there and I said, yeah, he's so right. So I went back to Matthew Mullen, who wrote Some Boys Don't Leave, and said, is there a feature here? Everybody loves this short can we make it a feature and we did and we worked and wrote and figured it out and then i very quickly i would say was able to collaborate with wonderful producers who raised the financing so this is really key right here yeah because 
that moment with Brian where he said, you need to commit. It was about don't wait for someone to hand you an opportunity. Go create that content yourself. Absolutely. While we were putting the money together um, and we had cast attached, I was pregnant with my second child, which I waited, you know, really was like, when am I telling the producers? When? Which is something you you have to consider. Of course, yeah. Which I wish you didn't have to consider, but but you have to think about it. We raised... All, like half of the budget, which is still an indie budget, but it was a big accomplishment. And I say we, it was really my amazing producers, Jason Potash and Paul Finkel. Um, they partnered with another person who was completing the financing. And this was April. We really had to shoot then because I was due in August. The person who we partnered with didn't show up with the money. And then there was a large amount of money that went away. Wow. <laughs> so my pregnant self prepping my first feature that was such a labor of love to make and pull together and wow. make happen so you went shot away that. no the money went away the money went away money went away we pushed the movie because we lost the money i had my son <laughs> and we had a another producer came in and said we have a little bit of money not what we thought we were going to have we have the fall then it's going to be winter can we shoot the movie this fall? And I had just had my son. And I called my friend in New York, another Atlantic person, and said, Jack is two weeks old. <laughs> He's a great sleeper. Should I, in two months, go to New York and shoot, shoot my first movie? Or do I wait? Tell me what I'm going to be like in November if I don't make this movie and wow. I'm just with my newborn. And she said, go make the movie. <laughs> So we did. I got Jack his two-month shots. I prepped with my DP, Chase Irvin, who's incredible. He shot Beyonce's Lemonade video. He's humongous now. He did some voice, don't leave also. We shot list on the floor of the playroom where I was like nursing Jack the whole time. I knew that there wasn't some magical golden opportunity that was going to – I wasn't going to be handed a feature. I wasn't going to get an episode of television. You know, I needed to create more. I needed to prove myself more. Yeah. I needed to make a feature. And I have a fantastic husband, you know, a wonderful daughter who was six at the time. And I felt like it, it was okay to leave them and, and go to New York with the baby. So how so, long did you shoot for? Uh, 18 days. 18 days. Yeah. Okay. And so then what happens? The movie is made. The movie uh, premieres at a festival, sells sells is distributed it has a 15 city theatrical release and then i was writing another movie on along the way yeah no big deal yeah and then just do write another one and teaching and coaching and you know so making independent happens? film isn't exactly like right you're not right you're not there yet. you're not quitting cars. your other jobs yet right okay so keep going uh so i wrote Dial a Prayer, which was a movie I had started writing before before I started writing the other one. It was a story that I really wanted to tell for myself and felt like I needed to make another movie to continue to prove, you know, that I knew what I was doing. And you learn so much on your first Talk feature. Talk about stamina, like making a movie and then saying, I need to make another movie. Right. That takes a lot. Well, because you think someone's going to show up and say, oh, okay, we're, we're signing you, right. or here, here you can go direct right. on Netflix. Or, right. And it's, 
I mean, it's not always the case. There are some directors who've been fortunate. Right. You know, we've all read about certain sure. directors but you who can't bank do on one that. show. I've heard so many Olympic athletes talk about how people see the competition. They see that moment. But the reason they're in that moment is for all the stuff that's behind the scenes yeah. that nobody sees, you know. So, you know, once you're doing Scream Queens, people are like, oh, she's, how does Maggie Kylie get to just direct the show on Fox? <laughs> right. Like, how does that happen? They're like, well, you don't know that I was like breastfeeding my kid on the floor of the playroom looking at shots. And then I was, then there were three more movies. Right. Between, actually, probably four. There's years of work and right. dedication and showing up. And that is that quality inside of people. It's, it's really almost... I mean, it's it's not natural. Do you know what I mean? Like, think about, like, the world, like, the animal kingdom. It's, like, sleep, eat. Like, it's superpower, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to look at that where you are and not know exactly when you're going to get to the other end. And yet you just keep going without mm-hmm. necessarily even knowing what, what hurdles are going to be in the way. And you just take the hill. You just keep going. It's just incredible. So what happens then? I kept doing the work. So this Macy note on my board, I I had a character in my head that I saw him as. So when I wrote Dial a Prayer, and and Dial a Prayer was the first screenplay I'd written by myself. I'd co-wrote Brightest Star with Matthew Mullen, but Dial a Prayer was the first time I was really trying. And I've written a little bit, but not at that level. So the, the way for me to write it was I pictured all these actors I knew saying the lines, and then it helped me kind of distinguish who everyone was. But I wrote a part for Bill, and when it felt ready, I sent it to him, and he liked it. You know, he he said, you have something here, you know, and that was enough encouragement for me to keep writing it. And then I partnered with the same producers I had done my first movie with, um, and we attached cast, which is never easy, but helps having the relationships that I'd started to form with people. And then that movie we shot in Michigan, and this time I had to leave everyone at home. So that was fun in some ways and really hard in other ways to be away. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that movie sold right away, which was exciting, and also came out with a small theatrical release. But the big thing with that film was that it retailed in Walmart, which... Wow. is a is funny the when biggest superstar chain in the world right but it's funny when you're a, you know you're coming up as an independent filmmaker you know right, and and I so want to be like cool so, yeah. and, and then I was like all right we're gonna be in Walmart you know and then you know we had all these pictures of it on the <laughs> on the display yeah yeah so I kept going still really scraping though these not movies are not big movies these are small small releases these are I'm not in the director's guild Yet I'm still balancing crazy childcare mm-hmm. and 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 thinking about how do I get a studio movie? How do I get a TV show? How how do I go from these things that I'm really putting together myself, even though they look exciting because Bill Macy's on the poster and Brittany Snow is doing a podcast right. about it. It's right. still there's still these small things. Mm-hmm. So so what happened next? I decided, I knew that I had to do a movie that somebody else put together, (laughs) meaning I knew that if I was going to go to television, I probably had to prove that I could deliver somebody else's story to a studio. So there's this wonderful company, Mar Vista, that makes like 20 movies a year, and they, a lot of the movies 
our movies of the week or Hallmark movies or will go to mm-hmm. Lifetime, but they're they're also starting to make more exciting content. So I sat with a woman there who I love, Hannah Pillimer, and she said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, it'd be fun to do like a fatal attraction thing. You know, it was like, what? what's something I wouldn't write or right, what? Right, right, right. Um, and they sent me this crazy script called Caught, where a woman kidnaps her husband's mistress and puts her in the attic. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I read it and I thought, wow, this could either be really bad or really or fun. it could be really fun. Um, and I love Heathers and, you yeah, know, movies. So I when I pitched for it, I I really talked about taking sort of the the visual world of a movie like American Beauty, but injecting the deliciousness of of a sh- of Heathers or Mean Girls and and so that's what they let me do. So again, very small budget. We shot it in 15 days in LA. Wow. Anna Camp, who knew Brittany and also had worked with Chris Lowell, who was in my first movie, came to play this part and really elevated it. And that I had more action and a big, huge fire sequence. And I really started to like spread my wings. Right, and you got out of your comfort zone, totally. which takes a huge amount no of courage. I had no idea what I was doing. Wow. They, they were like, how, how do you plan to do the fire? I had this wonderful producer, Jennifer Weston, and she'd say, now how are we going to do the fire? And I was like, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> Yeah, we're uh huh, and I did, and it took a little while, but but I figured it out. Wow, yeah, amazing. So that did really well. That did well. It premiered at the LA Film Festival, and everybody, people lo- really love that movie. It's a fun, fun movie to watch. And then Lifetime ended up buying it, so it premiered on Lifetime. Wow. Yeah. So what happened after that? After that, I said I can't keep doing these tiny movies. I either need to make a big movie, or I've got to figure out how to break into television. I had shadow directors on TV. I'd been on sets. I really felt confident, like I could handle it. Yeah. You know, I directed Alice and Janney and Macy and all these people who I felt like I'm really comfortable with actors. I've proven myself on this movie that I can do action. Could not, could not get into television. So I went and did two small, uh, two digital series, you know, shorter content, Mm -hmm. um, just to, again, try to prove that I could do something that was not my own and deliver it with a shorter amount of time. Both things turned out great. Still couldn't get a TV show. Got a call from AFI, um, who's, they're tremendously supportive of their alums, and they said, Ryan Murphy is doing this thing. It's called Half. He wants to put half of his directors, women and el- and diverse directors. And I had been in a diversity program. And I thought, wow, I've done three features. I've sold three features. I just did two digital wow, series. I'm not 20. Wow, do I really have to go and be in another program? Wow. Um, but so I want that humility <laughs> to like show up again. Yeah. Yeah, because also, already... again, it's not happening, you know. So you, right. what do you have to change? What do you have to put in? Right. But that actually takes so much confidence because as people, if you were really insecure, you would have heard that and said, forget it. Right. I don't need to prove anything. But because you have that confidence, that humility, it's like, well, let's, I'm not, you know, I'm not above working on my craft. So let's right. do it. Right. Yeah. And if you're going to get an opportunity to observe in a television landscape working being allowed into what Ryan Murphy is doing for me was seemed really exciting yeah, and interesting. For sure. It's a huge um, opportunity. So I I met there and connected really well with the 
one of the guys who runs that program, Tanase Popa, who's since become a very dear friend. And I, I said, Scream Queens, you know, I love Scream Queens. I made this movie. And yeah. he said, oh, well, send, send me the trailer. I sent him the tra- after the meeting, I sent him the trailer. And then after that, he said, send me the whole movie. Um, but then still, I had to wait. But then they called, and this was just this summer, and said, we want you to be the first participant in this program. So we didn't really know what it would entail. It, it never anywhere said, do this program and you'll get an episode. <laughs> um, and I had to sh- full shadow, meaning I had a month in the summer where I sh- went to the American Horror Story set every single day and sat there quietly. Oh which is interesting, yeah. you know, wonderful, but also your brain is a little bit like, oh, my God, I'm yeah. losing it. Yeah. But I learned so much, and I really connected with the director who mentored me. And after that, they really supported me. And when I sat down with Ryan for my exit interview, he said, you know, wow, everyone is so impressed by you, and I really want to help you. You tell your anyone that I'll get on the phone f- for you. And I was like, wow, I have the support of Ryan Murphy. And I told him that I was up for a job in South Africa because I was starting to talk to a network about a show. It was it was still not confirmed. And he said, South Africa. And I said, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's this show. And, and, uh, and I was brave enough to say, I'd much rather be working here, which after I said it, I was like, oh, God, I don't know if I should have said it. I don't know if I should have said it. Good for you. Um, But I left the meeting, and they called, and he gave me the episode literally like seven minutes after I left. What was it like the moment you stepped foot on that set? Um, Wonderful. (laughs) I felt like, you know, it's that thing where sometimes things take so much longer than you think, you know, like having a baby, getting married. Mm winning the lottery or or whatever it is. It's like on that set in particular and that whole experience, I felt like all this time I was so frustrated that I wasn't getting a shot. I spent all this time working really, really hard to prove myself, to grow, to keep learning. And finally, the person who says, you know what, here, you know, here's an episode of network television is someone like Ryan who not only believes in me, but really thinks it's silly that there aren't more directors of color and women and diverse backgrounds directing in television. You know, the numbers in TV are pretty awful. And breaking in is extra hard. So it's figuring out when you can get that first episode. I mean, it's still hard to book the next ones, but just getting your first episode makes such a huge difference. It's an incredible story. Yeah, I mean, it's... and then I was in the Hollywood Reporter, which Tell was the best. About... <laughs> Tell me about that. Well, that's just sort of the cherry on top. That Ryan was then honored at, by the Hollywood Reporter for for his work in half. And so when I was shooting my episode, I got a call saying they're doing a portrait of Ryan, and they it's Jamie Lee Curtis and Angela Bassett and um, Alexis Korsinski, who's another woman in the program who received an episode, and you. And I said. Okay. (laughs) Not too shabby. Sounds pretty good. (laughs) Good company to keep. Yeah. But it was nice because it was the truth of, you know, he he established this program and he did give me a tremendous opportunity and it it will change things for me going forward. It's so incredible. Right. How did you overcome any of the negativity in your own mind or that was coming at you from, from around you? How did you keep going on that path? 
I mean, if it seems like every day I was like, yeah, I'm going to sit down <laughs> and write and keep going, that is not the case. I mean, I I have really learned that there are always going to be days where it feels like it's never going to happen or I'm not, you know, I'm not where this person is or my movie didn't get into Sundance or my sale wasn't that big or why am I not on that? And I have a wonderful husband. I have, I have a really fantastic community of peers in terms of female directors. Leah Meyerhoff formed Film Fatales in New York, and now there's a very strong Los Angeles chapter, and it helps to be around other women and be able to talk about what's hard. That's so helpful to have a support. I think, too, for me, like directing, it was so clear to me in those early experiences that this was something that I was really meant to be doing. Even though I hadn't gone to film school, I don't have a formal film studies education at all. I mean, there's tons of classic movies that I've never seen. I mean, I've worked really hard to educate myself more in the last few years. But I think when you feel driven to do something and you don't always know all of the answers, but you're willing to put in the work and figure it out, you just have to keep going. I'm so glad you said that. I feel like everyone should listen to that, rewind that, and listen to that again and again. That's really solid, solid advice. What's the reason? What's the why that you want to get up and direct? Why do you want to keep doing that? It really is like my happiest place. I mean, besides being with my beautiful, sweet children and husband and that that part of my life is very full and and that's important when i'm on set or when i'm shot listing or i or talking to an actor it really i feel the most happy and happy really is the adjective like it's i mean they're fulfilled and inspired and all of those things but it really comes back You're to just happy. Really happy there yeah i mean the pictures you know the silly selfies i take of my sweaty had you know outside in the high school in Canoga Park when we were filming something this summer and it's like I'm genuinely psyched you know it's so rare and it's so sweet to hear people waking up every day and loving what they do and I think that's a great place to leave it because that's why I wanted to do this you know I want everybody to be excited to wake up and I feel like people early on just decide that that's not going to be for them Maybe other people get to be happy. Maybe other people get to do it, but that's not practical or that's not realistic or that could never happen or they're not good enough or whatever. And they live these lives of just not feeling so great. And there's a lot of needing to distract um, from our self, you know, um, and I just feel like everyone has something to give and especially artists. So I love that you're happy. I think that's <laughs> the you. most inspiring thing you could say. Thank you. I want that for everybody. Maggie, thank you so much for telling that story. It was so inspiring to not only hear someone successful in their craft, but a woman, a mom, a girl with a dream who continued to leave no stone unturned and create this for themselves. And what an incredible, incredible, inspiring tale for so many people. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was really nice. What do you want them to look at? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Kylie Gal. Kylie Gell. Mm -hmm. And okay. then my website is MaggieKylie.com, and that has trailers of all the movies. Most everything is on Netflix. And, yeah. 
Awesome. And Scream Queens aired on Fox in December, but it's on the website now. It's episode nine, Loving the D. Well, considering what we've already heard, it's really exciting to see what's next. Can't wait. Yeah, me too. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Maggie, that was so much fun and so inspiring to listen to your incredible journey. All right, let's talk about some great takeaways from what Maggie and I were just discussing in Maggie's story. Here's some of the things that you said, Maggie, that I thought were so helpful. Number one, you don't need to know all the answers. Just be willing to figure it out. Number two, don't be afraid to pick up a book. Number three, don't wait for someone to hand you an opportunity. Go ahead and create the work yourself. Number four, you need humility and confidence. Number five, you've got to have a why. And does your why make you happy? If you like the show, and I hope you did, we certainly love doing it. If you love this, please go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes. Tell your friends. If you have creative friends, if you have anybody who has a dream and wants to pursue it, tell your friends. Please subscribe. Review us. Let us know what you like. You can reach out to us on Facebook at Don't Keep Your Day Job. Thank you so much for listening. It's such a pleasure. This is definitely something that makes me happy to get to do, so I hope it's making you happy to listen. I hope you'll subscribe and check out the next episode. I want to give a shout out to the amazing team who makes this show possible. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.